This is the Small Mouth Crush Podcast Season 2. If you're a hardcore angler, you've come to the right place. This is a weekly podcast that will interview some of the top local and regional anglers in North America. Anglers who consistently finish near the top in both largemouth and smallmouth bass fishing tournaments. Travis and his guest will discuss techniques and strategies used to help these anglers stay so consistent and help you become a better angler and gain an edge on your body of water. And now, here's your host of the Smallmouth Crush Podcast, Travis Manson. Hello, welcome to the Smallmouth Crush Podcast Season 2. Talking with some of the top local and regional anglers when it comes to bass fishing across North America. And we're going to start it out with with a Canadian. But before we go there, let's talk about The Real Shot. They're with us again for Season 2. Guys, The Real Shot is my number one stop when it comes to all my fishing tackle needs. They got a lot of hunting equipment as well, but tons of bass tackle, walleye, anything, salmon and trout, whatever you you want, whatever you name, they got it on their website, therealshot.com, and you head on over there, use my code smallmouthcrush15. Of course, you get 15% off your first order, so definitely take advantage of that and let them know smallmouthcrush sent you. Let's get into it. Season 2. Jamie Bruce, how are you doing? Hey, man. How's it going? Man, good to have you. Super excited to talk fishing with you. I know uh, I know you're up north, but there's some good fishing to be had. Um, some of the top smallmouth anglers that we had on season one, most of them were Canadians. Something's going on up there, dude. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not really an accident. Um, Part of the reason for the top smallmouth anglers coming from Canada is smallmouth is the dominant species here, you know, over sure. large. There's, uh, there's a lot of anglers up here that are really passionate about bass fishing. It's a short season up here. And there's a lot of really competitive events. So I, I would expect that, uh, you know, Canada will keep pumping out some, some anglers as we go here. So, Oh, they will. I, you know, before we get into it, if you could just take a moment and talk to you a little, talk to us a little bit about your background, uh, where exactly you're based out of and, and how you got into fishing, if you could. Yeah. So, I mean, started out pretty much as your standard kid, you know, obsessed with fishing, um, grew up always near Lake of the Woods, uh, which is a huge, huge lake up here at borders, Manitoba and Minnesota. And, you know, it's a, about 80 miles wide and 80 miles long, full of islands, full of cool stuff. You know, started out kind of walleye fishing like everyone else. That was always the dominant thing around here. And started getting into some of these tournaments around here. You know, got my teeth kicked in the first couple, and but I just mm-hmm. loved it so much. I kind of, I threw everything I had at it. Um, and, you know, not really know what it, knowing what I was doing. I just, uh, I gave her, I fished every day, fished between night shifts, um, you know, everything like that. And then finally started rolling with, with tournaments a little bit. And, uh, I mean, there's, there's nowhere else I'd rather be this, this lake we're on here is, is just so dynamic. It's, it really is like bass fishing paradise. Yeah, definitely. I've, I've heard a lot of stories. I've never been there personally. Walk me through, um, kind of the setup there. Obviously there's, it's a, it's a big body of water. I assume just based on, on videos and pictures, I've seen a lot of structure, islands drops i mean you name it right it's there largemouth smallmouth a variety of uh, all different fish species but it's got to be somewhat overwhelming 
Uh, do you feel you have it dialed in or is there a lot to learn there? There's no one that will ever have Lake of the Woods dialed in. Um, it fishes like five or six different lakes. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say the word dynamic a lot because there's no other way to, to describe it. Um, there's crystal clear areas that, you know, that have deep smallmouth down to 40 feet and two miles away, you know, it could look like you're fishing in Louisiana, you know, throwing a chatterbait up under a bush for, for smallmouth there as well, you know, and largemouth. If someone ever says they have it dialed in, they're lying to you. It's just so huge. There's only boat ramps in certain portions. So a lot of the areas of the lake are still so remote. They're, you know, they're 50 or 60 mile boat ride only. So, I mean, even living here, there's, there's places that I can't go to every day, you know, uh, given weather and, and fuel constraints and, and things like that. So it, it just really has been a great place to learn how to bass fish. Um, you can fish for largemouth and smallmouth and, you know, all the other species, muskies and walleyes and everything, but you really can do whatever you want. And, you know, part of its curse is that it's so full of fish, you're going to catch two to three pound bass doing everything. And you'll kind of trick yourself into thinking you're doing the right thing. And that's what happens to a lot of the, uh, the tourists, you know, if you will, that come up here and fish tournaments, they fish around town and catch literally a hundred bass and think they're going to do fine. And then they get stepped on. Uh, right. So, uh, it, you know, it's just, it's hard to explain without seeing it. Um, there's little towns along it and people can have those dialed in, but no one, no one has a real lock on, on every little area of the lake. That's crazy to think that there's such a stretch in between boat ramps and it could be 40, 50, 60 miles. That's a lot of water. That's a lot of water. How do you break something down like that? Um, you know, obviously history comes into play, but where do you determine where you're going to start or what zone you're going to focus on? I mean, there are, like I said, there's fish in, in every corner of the lake. There's most of the tournaments on Lake of the Woods have like a boundary, you know, a specific area of, of mm. 30 or 40 square miles that you have to stick with. Okay. Uh, the, big, the big tournament up here, Kenora Bass International, it's kind of like, it's like the Super Bowl up here. It's a three-day bass tournament. Uh, $800 entry, um, you know, 150 teams. And that's the one that attracts the names. And that's uh, the, really the gloves are off. You can go wherever you want. So in a tournament like that, you'd want to focus on the more Southern end of the lake. It's a short growing season up here. So, you know, if it's a little warmer down there and a little less pressure, then the, you know, the fish will be maybe a quarter pound bigger, not much of a difference. So that's kind of how you, how you look at that. As far as the rest of the lake goes, if you can fish anywhere you want, you really have to look at your strengths and, mm. you know, just narrow that down. Um, sure. If you're, if you're someone from the Great Lakes, uh, you're going to be a little more proficient in, in deep water angling. And, you know, you're probably going to look at smallmouth out in, in like clear waters of, you know, areas like Whitefish Bay. If you're a river rat and, and like throwing hardware and, and you know, fishing shallow, then you're probably going to find yourself in, in some of the, you know, creeks and bays and, and just shallow water areas on the, on the Southern end of the lake. If you're a large mouth angler, there's huge endless flipping and frogging bays. Um, you know, they're kind of needle in a haystack, but you can do that too. So, I mean, that's not totally answering your question, but that's, uh, you know, if you're sure. someone coming from somewhere else, that's how you have to look at it. 
What typically wins? Is it is it a mixed bag or is it small mouth over large mouth or is it large mouth over small mouth there? Well, uh, it used to bounce back and forth quite a bit. Um, but in 2014, my partner, uh, Brian Gossiston and I, he's the, he's a hammer up here. Uh, we mm-hmm. fished together. Uh, we won it with almost all large mouth in 2014 and it hasn't, there hasn't been a, a large mouth in the first place you know, in any of the three days of the first place team since. So, yeah, there's your answer there. It it used to be back and forth and the small wolf have just pretty much exploded, you know, to where you can't compete with, with large mouth, especially in a three day event. Right. Well, I definitely want to talk a little bit about your strengths and and how you target uh, smallmouth up there. But before we go there, take me back a a number of years ago when you guys won on largemouth. What was the uh, predominant pattern? What were you doing? Our, our largemouth aren't, you know, it's not like the TVA where they get out deep and do all kinds of crazy stuff. They're pretty much um, locked in these big, like, frogging bays. So in 2014, we went to one of these areas that's 70 miles away from the takeoff, you know, found a few fish and they weren't getting fish for, and they were just big largemouth. You know, we had a 23-pound pound bag in practice without drilling everyone we caught so that was uh you know we knew we could go catch 16 pounds of smallmouth and get 12th place or just go you know put our money in the hat and go swinging for largemouth and uh the water was up it was high that year uh we had a tough first day just caught a couple of randoms and you know you can always fill your limit with smallmouth you'll never not catch a limit on this lake um Hmm. so you know we did that survived and then the next day we just went for it and I caught a five and a six pounder on back to back flips. Um, huh. They were up in, in matted coontail in the bush. So yeah, it was then, you know, that was, we had just under 21 that day. It was a tournament record at the time. And uh, right. And the, you know, so the doors, we had a three pound lead or whatever it was. And these smallmouth guys get 17 pounds every day or, you know, right there. So mm-hmm. um, our only chance was to go large mall fishing again. And we caught one five pounder. And at the end of the day, like I said, this lake's so good, literally 20 minutes left. We pulled in, you can almost see takeoff and caught four, two and a half pounders and won the tournament. It was a wild ride. So I thought I was a large mouth expert after that. And, right. uh, <laughs> and we didn't, we didn't win. Uh, we haven't won after that actually. So if, uh, if you had to, if you could, choose largemouth over smallmouth what would you pick well i mean largemouth are kind of an exotic up here um Mm -hmm. this is the northern line they don't they're they don't exist further north than um lake of the woods and in the surrounding lakes okay so there's probably you know these numbers are obviously just made up but there's it seems like there's a hundred smallmouth for every largemouth Hmm. or more like there's lots of lakes that don't even have largemouth in them for me like you, you obviously want what you can't have so i right. i chase them a lot um in tournaments i've learned that you know if you want to win you need to ch- predominantly chase smallmouth now especially with right. advanced electronics you just can't com- compete with that you know flipping around for five largemouth a day so What's your favorite technique when it comes to largemouth fishing? What attracts you to, uh, you know, that aspect of, of bass fishing? Flipping. I mean, Flipping. it's just so intimate. Um, 
things happen so fast and you know you just feel like a boss when you boat flip a five pounder <laughs> right at your feet in a tournament and yeah it's just that's the most exciting for me um we don't there's not a really a whole ton of ways you can catch largemouth up here it's pretty much flipping frogging and then they they really just don't go deep they pull out a little bit in the in the cold water but yeah mm -hmm. Me. are you are you uh are you flipping matted vegetation are you fish are you flipping sparse vegetation what's your uh cover of choice uh i mean it all depends on what's going on that year how the rice is growing um you know if it's a year where the rice grows really thick then you get these mats um that you can flip around uh lots of like lay down timbers and just i mean lily pads just kind of anything just going there's there's really not that many largemouth like i said so you're kind of putting your troller on 80 and flipping at everything you can find and trying to break down these huge bays they're usually just in one little stretch what and they're not too picky on you know where they're sitting there you just gotta yes. get it you know i can't argue there's something special about being in the northern part of the country in, in that zone and fishing for largemouth in places that, like you said, look like Louisiana, look like Florida. It, it would blow someone's mind away, I think, a lot of times when you get up there and you're out in that wilderness and there's actually, it does look like you're in Okeechobee. And it's, uh, it's a fun experience. Now, talk, you know, switching things a little bit, you mentioned uh, electronics and, and targeting smallmouth and having that ability to, to do well in tournaments, targeting those species what would be your your go-to style when it comes to smallmouth fishing up there? I mean, probably what I would get, you know, labeled with or, you know, pro and, you know, something that I've probably won the most money on is hanging a minnow. You'll, you'll hear it referred to as moping or uh, it cringes me to even say the Demiki rig. <laughs> um, that's just, we all shook our heads when we heard that, that, you know, heard it called that up here because we've known it as hanging, hanging a minnow forever, but that's, uh, that's the deal for me. I mean, that's, mm. that's where I can kind of feel like I have a bit of an edge over the competition and I've just caught so many bass doing it. And yeah, it's just something that I love. We're going to, we're going to have to get into this because the whole season one, some of the top smallmouth anglers out there, and we mentioned it here and there. I've, I've done it. I enjoy it. I, kind of caught on to it i wasn't doing it probably as earlier as early as you have uh but really that elite event on cherokee a number of years ago right is when that technique really hit mainstream i remember when i first saw it you know trying to learn the different jigs and the baits that you know make that efficient and, and effective and i played around with it and it surprised me the amount of fish that you can catch that you can uh get over and actually fool over a drop shot or some other type of bait. It's extremely effective. Walk me through your approach when it comes to, and, and what do you like to call it? Moping or, or, or what's your, what's your terminology? Gussie is the only guy that calls it moping in this entire country. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, you know, like he's mentioned the the lenders, uh, you know, kind of had a part in, in its inception and everything like that. And they referred to it as moping, but. Uh, we all call it hanging a minnow. Um, hanging a minnow. Yeah. So, I mean, it used to be the Berkeley power minnow was number one for that. Uh, okay. The five inch power minnow and the four inch power minnow came later, but those were those on a mushroom head or, or kind of how it started. 
Uh, it's since refined. Um, we use the BT smeltinator head now. I'm sure you've heard of that. And a Z-Man jerk shed, a four or five inch. And that's, you know, okay. that's really, that was like the biggest find in, you know, in this tech's history. It, it just floats and it, you can catch a bunch. So it's a, it's a real important part. Somewhat familiar with the Z-Man lineup. Do they make a scented, like a jerk shed and an unscented? Or how does that work? And is there one yeah. you prefer over the other? Or do they both work? Yeah, there's one called the Streaks. Streaks, it's essentially yep. the same profile, and it's what they would refer to as a fresh plastic. So it doesn't have any salt or scent. Uh, the ones I use are the scented jerk shads. Okay. Um, I, I always look for the greasiest one in the bag. Like, I want the most scent on there as I can get. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that's that's my my take on it. Uh, okay. I try to reduce the scent quite a bit. So. Wow. Okay, so I, I we gotta go deeper and deeper because this is uh, I'm I'm learning something here for sure. This is some good stuff. Four or five inch. It's a smeltinator head, correct? Mm-hmm. What is your typical size jig head? I've been gravitating more towards the three eighths for almost every application. It's uh, I I used to kind of trot around with a quart, you know, a quarter ounce and an eighth ounce because I was you know scared of detection and I wanted mm-hmm. less resistance when the fish went to eat it. Um, but I, I really found that hasn't, you know, it hasn't held true. The three eights, it's so much more important to have your jig vertical, you know, than it is to have it free of resistance. So if, if you can have it vertical, you can, you're so much more deliberate with where you put it. You know, if I want it on the sharp side of this boulder, that's where it's going under my trolling motor where if you're using a lighter head, it's, it's, you know, more inclined to be blown around by the wind and, you know, you get a bow on your line and things like that. So three eighths is pretty much my go-to for, for most depths, unless you get into something ridiculous, like a 40 foot scenario. Let's talk colors of, of, of your plastic. What is your go-to color? Uh, I, I kind of stick to the minnowy colors, uh, smoky shed, Ralph shed, smelt shiner, Nothing really fancy there, um, you know, white bellied or, you know, a little bit transparent. I really don't go too crazy with, with, you know, playing with colors. Uh, I, don't, I don't really go too offside and use like a chartreuse or a pink. Well, I was curious about that because, you know, Z-Man, they not only make a lot of great baits for largemouth and smallmouth, but they're big into redfish and stuff like that. So they have, and, and these jerk shads and, and whatnot, they'll use them for redfish. And they got some crazy looking colors. And I've always, I was always curious, you know, sometimes a smallmouth will get really aggressive on a chartreuse or a pink or something crazy, or they'll want that natural looking uh, profile that, that color. And so I was always curious if that would, if that would work, but it makes sense because you're basically fishing around the type of forage, right? Like, are you, are you smelt up there? Alewives? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, we have smelt, shiner and Cisco. So. Okay. All, uh, all like a, a fatty, shiny skin bait fish. Right. Now, as far as your setup, let's talk a little about the rod, the reel, and even the line, if you could, with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you really don't have to get too crazy with it. A 7.1, a 7.3, fast action medium, spinning rod, you know, any reel. Mm-hmm. Usually stick with 10-pound braided line suffix braid and then i use a great big long uh 
10 pound fluorocarbon leader. I have it almost into my reel. Um, so a lot of the time, like I'll have all fluorocarbon in the water. It, you know, if they're up that high in the water column, then it, it having that long leader just kind of until you really like catch a lot of fish on it, you don't realize how many like little drive-bys you get and you pull away from them lots um, hmm. just out of reaction and, and having a longer leader, not for line detection, just more for a shock, you know, like a shock resistor. Uh, yeah, you know, makes sense. So, yeah, I mean, the rod I use is a, it's a 13 fishing envy uh it's yeah it's a seven three and you you don't want a big broomstick for it it's got to load up and you know it, it probably the same rod you'd use for a tube or, or something like that would would work it's not it's not real specific on that because you're you're not imparting any action you're just standing there holding it so you when you're over a fish and you're positioning your boat over it, you see it on the, I'm assuming, are you seeing these fish on the graph before you're dropping down to it or are you fishing it blind? Uh, it depends on the scenario. I used to only drop if I'd see them up here on these shield lakes, you know, part of the Canadian shield, they're formed by glaciers. So there's these huge like boulders, like I call them Volkswagen size boulders. And you know, a lot of times you can see them. You can see them on your forward-facing sonar. You can see them on down imaging. But a lot of times you can't, and you just have to, if it's a sweet spot, you just kind of have to hover over it and, and let them come up. Obviously, the ideal situation is you see a, a big pack, like a big pack 50 feet in front of the boat on your on your live scope, and you know they're there. But a lot of times, especially during tournaments when they start getting pressured, they'll tuck down into those, you know, into those crevices and, and they'll only come out once they see it. So, okay. So we got the right rod. We got the right setup. We got the right bait. Now we got to find where the fish are, which we'll get to. But once, uh, once you do find them, talk to me about that scenario where you saw them out front. You know, fifty feet out. How are you making that pitch? And how? Give me the perfect setup. Like, how deep are these fish? Are they on the bottom? Are they suspended? Typically, if they're sitting on one of those big boulders. And there's a there's usually a pack of you know four or five, so a couple will be off to the side, and if there's enough of them on it, there'll be some just above the boulder. They don't really like, you know, these smelt scenarios. They're they're not really chasing them as much. They're kind of just sitting back and waiting to ambush. They don't get as nomadic as you'd think and go chase them. But anyway, yeah. So if you see this pack, I mean, it really depends on the day. Um, and this is something we've just learned since uh, forward facing sonar came out. But a, a lot of the time you'd think, okay, I can see them out there now. I can just cast at them and I'll catch them better. Uh, you know, they won't be scared of the boat. It'll, it'll be like fish in a barrel. But a lot of days you'll throw at those fish and, you know, start bringing your swim bait or, or you know, whatever back. And they'll all just follow off and sit under your boat. Uh, you might get one, but the rest will still come with it. Mm -hmm. So my perfect scenario is all, you know, it'll, it'll be a day where I'm catching them well under the boat. I've had my best success in depths from 12 to 20 kind of thing. So my ideal scenario is to get right on top of that boulder instead of casting at it and pulling all those fish off and breaking up the school. I want to get on top of that. And, you know, if you can catch two to four fish out of a, a decent sized school, then, you know, that's, that can make 
your tournament. You have to do that two or three times a day. Efficiency is so important when that's going on. From the time that first one bites it, the rest of them are already starting to get a little suspect about what's going on. You need to throw that thing in the live well and get back down there immediately. Um, okay. Because once they're done, I, that that's it. You're not going to catch another one. I've I've literally put live bait in front of them pre-fishing. Like they puked up sit or smelt, and I put it on a jig head, dropped it down in front of them, and still get denied. So it's uh, it's a matter it's like of they know. Yeah. You know. Yeah. They're on to you. As soon as you're hooked up, your partner runs with the net and their rod. Like that's a given. You do not show up to a fish up here without a, a rod in your hand. Um, gotcha. A lot of the net jobs are one handers or we'll right. try to double on them. So, I mean, in a perfect world, you catch one, run to the back, your partner drops in, hooks up, and you come double up off that one and it gets into quadruple. And those are the moments you're looking for. And a lot of these tournaments up here are, you know, that happens a few times a day and then it's just dead air in between oh, looking wow. for that next smash so that 12 to 20 foot range what what would be the deepest you feel comfortable throwing that bait or using that technique there there's no like end to it you you can just go as deep as you want so i mean that's we we use it in the winter for lake trout fishing okay yeah yeah they smash that thing um so you know we've caught bass down in 70 feet off bottom just sit on, on it. It just where you hold it. You know, if you're fishing in 10 feet of water, it's likely going to be five feet on your trolling motor. If you're fishing in 70 feet of water, it's probably going to be, you know, five mm-hmm. feet off the ball. Do you use any special knot? I, I do have a sneaky little knot. I don't. Yeah. We'll, we'll share it. It might not make be as much of a right, uh, right. difference maker as I think. Um, but it's, uh, I don't even know what it's called. It's the one you start it like a Palomar, you know, double up, put it through, and then yeah. it ends up with three three tag ends. I'm sure you've tied. I mean, any knot that has two points of contact on your on your 90 degree line ties, what you want. Um, mm. You want that bait to be sitting flat or nose down. So if you have a knot that you can securely put there and keep it at the absolute top of the eye. Uh, you know, then you're, when you catch a fish, your bait's not going to slide to the top every time. So if you had something like a loop knot, your bait would be, your tail would be facing down and it, you know, Hmm. it would be a hindrance. So, and that's where that Z-Man plastic really, really comes in because it's naturally buoyant. So it just levels it off when that thing came around, like it, this game got real. Like we started catching. Sure. So you won't really mess with too much. I mean, I'm sure there's other baits that are just as efficient or at least resemble uh you know a bait fish like that that would work but you're really big into the z-man product lineup for that for that reason yeah, i mean i'm i'm not totally ignorant to to like max scent or anything like that um when i they have a five inch uh jerk shad as you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it looks like the baits we use here and it kept i would say it catches them just as good as as the z-man minnow you know, even it doesn't have the buoyancy, um, but it's still just that scent is like, it must be a little bit better. And it's just maybe a little bit tastier. Um, so they'll eat it just as good. But the problem is it, it's not bulletproof plastic. It, you know, it's, it's sure. tough plastic, it still comes apart. So in these scenarios where I'm saying like, you know, you got to make hay while the sun shines, 
if you if your bait rips, that's game over. Good or point. a lot of times you hit it and you miss them and, and your bait gets, you know, you get your pants pulled down or or it rips and then it's not perfectly straight and you're done. So mm-hmm. that's 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 the difference there. Man, hanging a minnow. Who would have thought? What are we looking for? Now we're going on these bodies of water and we're graphing. Are you looking for structure? Are you looking for fish on the graph over structure? What's your typical scenario when you're going out locating a place to uh to throw this technique up here our lakes are like i mentioned they're shield lakes and they're they pretty much have unlimited structure you can't fish every hump in the lake or ledge you know i i just try to move as fast as i can um you know there's obviously things to look for if they're eating smelt you want to be near deep water uh you know it's kind of your standard like deep fish rules apply but you just really you can't be lazy like you have to find you just have to get on your trolling motor and like i said a lot of times they'll they'll tuck into these little crevices so you can't idle these spots and Mm. and write them off and that's you know that's a lot of people's fault up here um so i mean i when i'm pre-fishing i'll fish 75 or 80 humps in a in a day and find you know, seven or eight, they, they need to have that right recipe. Um, they can't just have like a, a flat top on them or like a, a slow tapering thing, or they'll have different species of fish. Like there's a lot of walleye up here. So how I mean, do the walleyes react to that? Do they bite that as well. Hardly. Like really? we still, you're going to catch walleye almost every day doing it. Mm-hmm. But if you like put a net rig in front of, in you know in a school of walleye you'll catch a ton of them like hmm. hundreds interesting so yeah they, yeah they're kind of they are kind of more reaction eaters um they're not they're just not as curious and it, yeah it doesn't happen as much as you'd think but you kind of have to stay away from those things to catch catch the bass up here okay but, so they don't hang out in the same zones they're a little they like to keep their distance well they kind of trade by the day uh, depends okay. on the area. Like one will muscle the other off structure. It depends on how dominant they are in that area. But I mean, there's there's really no rule book on on where to find these deep smallmouth. You just there's a lot of smallmouth up here, so you're going to find them if you just keep fishing. Man, good stuff, good stuff. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Smallmouth Crush Podcast. Don't rush out to the water just yet. We'll be right back after this break hey this portion of the smallmouth crush podcast slash video is brought to you by monster bass what is monster bass it's a monthly subscription where they send you the best baits for the places that you fish and then teach you how to use them it's a company i choose for my monthly subscription and you can save ten dollars on your first purchase at monster bass by using my code save 10 Head on over to monsterbass.com. Sign up today. Don't forget to check out their tackle store on their website. They got some great deals on tungsten weights, whether it be drop shot weights, flipping weights, worm weights, whatever the case may be, some of the best prices you're going to find anywhere over at monsterbass.com. Again, that's code SAVE10. Let's get back to the podcast. We're back to the Smallmouth Crush Podcast with your host, Travis Manson. You know, what do you think separates you from other anglers when it comes to, you know, being able to dominate and be consistent in tournament fishing? Because there's a lot of people that that fish all over the place and, 
you know, you're competing against sometimes I'm sure there's hundred plus boat tournaments. How do you stay so consistent? I feel like, you know, I've thought about this a lot. Um, and it's not like I'm dominating up here. There's a, there's a ton of good anglers up here. Um, you know, I'm just on a, on a good stretch right now. I feel like, you know, the biggest thing for me is, and this is, you know, I, I feel like it's true for all, all bass anglers across the board is that, it, you know, it's, it's the people that aren't afraid to fail that are going to succeed, you know, especially in a place like this where there are three pounders tempting you at every corner and, you know, you just have to ignore those and, and fish for the biggest fish in the lake. You have to learn how to do things that you're not comfortable with. If, if you think that's how to win and you just, you just can't be afraid to lose. Um, I know a lot of people that have kind of been laying up their, their whole lives when it comes to tournaments you know, if you're fishing for second, that's, that's as high as you're going to get. Where if you're putting yourself out there and, you know, learning the techniques and then going for it every weekend, it seems like once you finally understand what's going on, it seems like your failure would be like a second place. And that's what someone who's just trying to be consistent and stable, you know, that's what they would be thriving for. So, I mean, kind of a shoot for the stars and, and land on the moon scenario. So yeah, that's, that's, that's my look at it. And yeah, right. there's the obvious things work ethic and, you know, paying attention and, and, and all that stuff. But I, I think it goes a little bit, you know, more, more into your head than, than people think. So such a short season up that way. Are you fishing pretty much a tournament? Uh, is it pretty consistent or do you pick and choose or do you try to get in one every weekend or, or can you even do that? Yeah. So, I mean, to, to further shorten our season up here, uh, you know, it's part of the reason the fishing's so good too, is you can't put a bass in your live well until July 1st. So mm. that whole pre-spawn and spawn, uh, there are no tournaments, uh, you know, in, in Northwestern Ontario, we'll branch out into other provinces or going down to Sturgeon Bay once in a while and things like that. But, um, so it's really, it's from July till the beginning of October. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's these huge open, open tournaments up here. I mentioned the Kenora Bass International, but there's a few that are like that, like Bassin for Bucks and the, you know, Canadian Bass Championship on Rainy Lake. There are these big, huge three-day events and they got big payout, major spectacle, like boat parades, full tents, huge crowds. Mm. Um, so you can you can definitely keep busy up here. Uh, I mean, I pr I probably try to do ten in a season, though so it doesn't sound like a lot, but it's crammed into to a really yeah, short. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's go time. Once once tournaments start, you know, my grass gets long and. I, I neglect kind of everything else and, and just go. <laughs> Don't we all? Absolutely. What's a technique that you would just cringe that you would like hate to do, or perhaps a technique you'd like to learn and, and master like what's next on the agenda when it comes to uh, different techniques out there? Oh man, that's uh I've got two different answers for those kind of two okay. different questions. Um, sure. A technique that I cringe, you know, to have to haul around and have to continue to use is the Alabama rig. Mm. Uh, 
I'm sure I'm not the only person saying this, but like, it's, you know, when it first came out, I was on it right away. Uh, I caught some of my biggest fish up here and won some of my first tournaments on it. And hmm. uh, I was kind of the A-rig guy for a little bit. And then it just turned into Gunnersville out here. And now I've just got this damn chandelier that I have to haul around right. on my boat, you know, hooking on everything. And, and I just hate it. I hate having to use it, but I know it, you know, it still plays and you have to have it in your boat. So that's, that's my hated technique. And then something like, uh, for something I'd like to learn a little bit better would be like a deep cranking kind of scenario. Mm. We just really don't have the fish aren't set up in great positions to, to catch them like that. So, um, you know, I've, I've used it down on the TVA and, and Sam Rayburn and, places like that. And I've tried so hard to make it work up here and it, I just can't. If that's all bass fishing was, I'd, I'd lose every tournament. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. No, Great that. conversation when it comes to fishing up in that zone. I, I've actually never been to that part of the country and I would love to someday. Now you spoke about Rainy Lake and comparison. How far away is that from you? From where I'm sitting right now, it, it, you know, it'd be like a two hour drive. Okay. So it's Rainy, relative. Rainy, yeah, the Rainy and Lake of the Woods are actually connected by by a river. You can't get the whole way by boat, but... Well, know. sticking with season one, asking uh, these two same questions to every angler, I want to carry that tradition on to season two of the podcast. So I got to ask, what's your um, what's your personal best largemouth or smallmouth? What's your biggest best? I mean, largemouth, largemouth is easy. Uh, back when I was like in my low 20s... Uh, my wife and I used to, I somehow talked her into going to the Tennessee river for like March break. She'd, she'd always want to go somewhere warm. And I'd say, well, it's, you know, it's pretty warm on in Chickamauga right now. Um, so we'd drive down there, haul my boat and go fish there. Our first full day there, I caught uh, an eight, it was eight pounds, 10 ounces, large mouth. Mm-hmm. And it was like whatever, 24, 25 inches long. And when I saw it, I was like, yeah, state record, like right. threw it in the live well. I didn't have my scale, so I, I threw it in the live well, like freaked out, like I just won a huge tournament. Just drove around like big dog and with it into the into the the marina that Michael Neal owns or runs or whatever. And uh yeah, I saw a kid that worked there. I was like, Hey, like, can I use your scale? I got a big one. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he brought his scale out and <laughs> like I pulled it out and I was all proud and he's like, oh yeah, it's like a seven pounder. And, yeah. <laughs> I weighed it and it was eight ten, but we just don't, I mean, the longest bass you're ever going to see up here is 20 inches. So mm. uh, you see something like that and it's just like unfathomable. So yeah, yeah right. that was my biggest one. Very and, cool. Uh, What'd you catch him on? Oh, I caught him on a brutal little, that's right here. This little, uh, Strike King one and a half XD, I think it's called. Okay. Uh, yeah. Tackle store threw me one. We were out throwing rattle traps in the grass and catching some. And I threw this over top of the milfoil and caught it on that of, of all things. So sure. So I wonder if you're gonna surprise me with the answer to this next question. I I I, I think I can guess, but I'm not sure. If I could give you one bait to use for next season. And that's it. One bait is all you get to catch whatever you want. Large mouth, small mouth. What would that bait be? It's not the minnow. It's not. Okay. <laughs> no, not okay. Close. No. Um, 
Yeah, it's. I mean, it's kind of a cop out answer, but it'd be a nad rig, a hula stick, rig. Mud, mud bug color, mud kind of bug. A, yeah, it's like I said, we have clear water and dirty water up here mm-hmm. and there. Now they're all connected. And it's all available. I don't want to be changing my nether egg color every time I cross into different waterways. So that mud bug is kind of like the perfect combo of, you know, green pumpkin. And then it has like a little bit of a smelty tinge mm-hmm. to it. So, um, yeah, absolutely. You, know, eat it, you can catch smallmouth deep and shallow. So that's, that's the no brainer. You'd use in the three inch or the five inch? Uh, the, the, the full hula stick, but cut down to like, you oh, know, okay. cut the t- I gotcha. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I like so it. Good answer. You can't go wrong well, with that. Yeah, that's all you need up here to to catch fish. That and like a, a Rapala Shadow Wrap would be second place because you can fish that deep, shallow, smallmouth. They just you're gonna catch some fish on it. Uh, besides uh, Lake of the Woods and, and Rainy, you know, you mentioned you've been all over the place fishing. What would be like your dream place to fish or, or go to like if you could go anywhere to bass fish where would that be man i i thought it was going to happen this year uh you mentioned cherokee lake um earlier uh that stopped two of the bass southern opens and uh i was licking my chops at that since the schedule came out and right. you know that's that's where i want to go i i try tried to sign up when the opens were there a couple years ago that matt robertson won and that border was closed. There was COVID this, COVID that. So I couldn't go. And then I thought this year I was going and I I'm 47 on the wait list. So I ain't going this year, either. but that's, uh, wow. ever since I saw, you know, them hanging minnows there and, and mm-hmm. I just over it. That's where I wanted to be. So I, even though there, it's not the, you know, I, I've been everywhere else that I've wanted to go. That's, that's just kind of the one holdout for me. So. What's your uh, what's your plans for the future? What what would you like to accomplish? Do you have any um, interest in in taking this further, or are you happy with with kind of where you're at now? Yeah, I'm I'm like a rat in a cage right now. Uh, a- after getting waitlisted for the opens, you know, I've kind of I've kind of been building up to uh, you know being able to be in a position where I can sign up and. Mm-hmm. and go kind of chase that that dream there's a lot of things that you know have to be in place as you know especially when you're coming from from canada um mm-hmm. so right yeah i mean i'm hoping to get into that next year um but I'll, I'll stick around with the regional ones i mean there's plenty to keep us busy around here and the payouts are good and everything but yeah for the winter i'm uh i'm i'm an ice angler <laughs> are you yeah, yeah, reluctantly, but I well, love you got to it's available. So, but yeah, I definitely would would like to get down and you know fish some fish some tournaments in the south and you know mm-hmm. in, the, in the coming years. So hopefully line that up. So how can people follow you and and, and watch you uh, if you do decide to fish some of these bigger tournaments in the future? I'm I'm pretty active on the internet. I uh, I've got an Instagram, Bruce's Canadian Angling, and YouTube, Bruce's Canadian Angling. So. There's a lot of like ice fishing content and, and, you know, walleyes and, and the bass thing too. Um, so yeah, yeah, pretty easy. To, I, I never thought I'd be a, a big online guy or running around talking to a GoPro, you know, like a 13 <laughs> right? kid. But 
as you know, it's it's kind of the way of uh, way of the future, and I, I do really enjoy sharing sharing the adventure. So yeah, check out the YouTube page, and it's it's a pretty cool area, and it can showcase it decent up here. So absolutely. Well, we really appreciate you coming on, sharing this great information. Got me excited about hanging a minnow. I love it. I love it. Good stuff. Yeah, thanks for having me, Travis. That was a blast. And awesome. the, the door is always open if you want to come fishing up here. Too. I'd love to. I'd love to. And as always, guys, until next time, we'll see you on the water. Thanks so much for listening today. Make sure that you're subscribed to the show and follow us on Instagram at Smallmouth Crush. Also, the YouTube channel, Smallmouth Crush. And if you feel so inclined, please leave us a five-star rating and comment with a review below. And as always, until next time, we'll see you on the water.